Well, howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunkin podcast coming at you. Episode 129, titled The Caves Have Eyes. Before we get into it, before we even get into the recommendation segment, I do have an announcement. So two episodes back, episode 127, uh, titled The Worst Road Trip I Have Ever Taken, I talked about how the weekend prior was the bachelor party of one of my best friends. It was supposed to be in Charleston, South Carolina, but the best man took all of our money for the mansion on the beach and instead booked a crappy shack about 30 plus minutes out of town and snorted the $3,000 plus left over right up his now scabbed and scarred nose. Yep, that was that's what that episode was about. The best man deceived 10 of us, his friends, since childhood in multiple ways for months and never showed signs of taking responsibility for his actions. Although I was hesitant about publishing the episode, I obviously went through with it. But I took precautions. For instance, I did mention some of the other morally questionable things Best Man did on the trip. I only referred to him as Best Man, never giving his name. And I did give resources as at the end for uh, Narcotics Anonymous and Gambling Addiction Help. While I did not post about this episode on social media or promote it in any way, I did hear from about a dozen people how they thought it was a good episode and how they sympathized with me and the groom and the rest of us on the trip. Four of those people were people who were also on the trip, four people that were actually involved and who also had their money taken or stolen from them, approved of episode number 127. Well, on Thursday, uh, September 8th of 2022, just over a, a week from posting the episode, number 127, I received the first hate mail that this podcast has ever gotten. Pretty exciting. A mutual friend from high school who knows all of us but was not on the bachelor party trip, nor was he invited, decided to give his opinion. Uh, Mr. Hate Mail, as he will be referred to, went on to belittle me and poke fun at this podcast using all sorts of profanity, saying how I was to blame for, quote, not letting this stuff go. He didn't say stuff. I would just like to say I do not regret my actions. I review this entire I view this entire interaction as a milestone for the podcast. It's my first hate mail. It's pretty cool. And yes, I disagree with that statement. Um, and I, I disagree with that statement. I have let it go. I recorded the podcast. I was done with it. Just like I was done with Best Man, you know? I still want my money back from Best Man, but I realized that will likely never happen. I was done with it. But then I got this hate mail, brought it all back up. Plus, episode number 127 got a slight uptick in listens, downloads. So thank you to all who enjoyed it and to those who hated it. Counts as a listen or a download either way. <laughs> I have an, I have an unhealthy need to make sure everyone likes around likes me who's around me and this interaction has helped me break that need thank you mr hate mail your, your need to trash talk me on a subject you know nothing about weren't involved with and lack of proper grammar in doing so has helped me just say no i'm not i don't i don't he doesn't need to like me i'm i'm stand by what i've done give me a sense of pride a little bit i wasn't going to post episode 127 on social media wasn't going to promote it uh but your reaching out to me inspired me to do so as promised, Mr. Hate Mail's name has been uh, purposefully omitted. Last note on the topic, the wedding is coming up in just a few short weeks uh, so far. Uh, or, and so far, best man is still technically the best man. So we shall see how that goes. <laughs> now that I got that petty high school drama out of the way, um, yeah, let's get into it. I just want to give you an update because it's been interesting. Hate Mail. Anyway, recommendation segment, the segment where I recommend you try something. It could be a book, movie, TV show, or something totally different. Sometimes uh, this segment ties into the main event of the episode, but it usually has nothing to do with it. 
This week, I recommend that you mix coffee and Coca-Cola. <laughs> Hear me out. They make a Coca-Cola with coffee drinks in a can. It's an official drink that Coca-Cola brings out. It's delicious. Uh, there's a dark blend, a mocha, a vanilla version, a caramel. They also have zero-calorie versions, too. Uh, these taste amazing, and it got me hooked. Um, they do have zero-calorie versions, but the regular versions are only like 70 calories. They're not much at all. So, I, I mean, normally I do Diet Coke and Diet sodas but this time i didn't um it's only 70 calories in it it does make a difference uh but then i stopped seeing these drinks these cans in my local convenience store i asked the woman that worked there and she said yeah they don't carry it anymore not enough business on it is what she said <laughs> she does not have an accent i don't know why i put that on there but yeah they weren't carrying it so i was worried i, I would never get to taste that rich taste again until just the other day i was pouring myself some homemade decaf cold brew Yes, Shannon and I have a cold brew maker thing. It's much simpler than you might think. It's pretty easy. You just pour water in, and the coffee, instead of being over hot water, is just coldly disseminated. It's delicious. I love cold brew. But as I was pouring the cold brew into my mug, I saw we had some Diet Coke in the fridge. There wasn't enough cold brew to fill my mug, so I thought I would combine the two. And wouldn't you know it, homemade Coca-Cola... Or homemade Coca-Cola with coffee tastes just as good as the canned stuff. Um, and this was Diet Coke. So it wasn't even regular Coke, and it still tasted pretty good. Once I get the ratio of coffee to Coke down, I will be all set. And it may sound kind of gnarly to you to try these um, two classic beverages together, but I say you give it a try. Pour some cold coffee. It could be cold brew or just coffee that's, you know, no longer hot. And Coca-Cola into a mug, give it a swig. If you don't like it, you know, no harm done. That is what this recommendation segment is all about. Give it a try. So now for the main event. This week's episode is about Sawny Bean and his clan of murderous incest cannibal family members. Yeah, you heard it right. This one's a doozy. There has been, there has even been, you know, movies inspired by Sawny Bean's evil legend, uh, though that's all the movie, uh, that's all the movie got out of the tale of Sonny Bean inspiration. It, it wasn't a direct story. So this will be a new story for you to hear. The plot of Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes in 1997 is very different from the legend of Sonny Bean. The film follows the Carters, a suburban family targeted by a family of cannibal savages after becoming stranded in the Nevada desert. I will admit I haven't seen the original Hills Have Eyes movie. I did, however, watch the 2006 remake. I loved it. It was still, or I was still at a young age when horror movies actually scared the living hell out of me because I couldn't separate the movie from the reality. So it was kind of traumatizing when I watched it because scary movies actually scared me back then. Um, but once the survivors started to take revenge on the monsters, that's when it really turned in from like a scary movie to like cool action movie. And I recommend the 2006 Hills Have Eyes. It is brutally cool. The main difference between the 1997 version and 2006 remake is that the remake added the cannibalistic bad guys were mutated by atomic bomb testing, which added to the horror in 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 my book, in my uh, mind. So, but yeah, the popular horror movie franchise Hills Have Eyes that entertained horror flick fans for decades now was inspired by true events. And that's kind of the, that's the kind of fact that, you know, scares adults. <laughs> How with such a horror movie inspired by true events, uh, true events. 
Wes Craven was interviewed uh, by Horror.com in 2006 about this inspiration. Uh, quote here from Wes. Originally, it came from an article I saw in the New York uh, Library about the Sawney Bean family in the 1700s in Scotland. I believe there was an area that had road running that had a road running through it um, from Scotland, and people thought it was haunted because people kept disappearing from the road. That story came out when a couple was attacked by these wild-looking people, and one got away. He knew something. He knew someone in the court, and they sent out an expedition, which resulted in finding a cave along the English Channel. So that's what Wes Craven said. So creepy. So <laughs> he read that, was like, "I'm going to come up with like a slightly different version. It's in Nevada." You know what he knew. So when my stepdad Roy told me to look into the true story behind the hills have eyes, I was like, "Okay, I'll give it a look." And when I read that, I was like done it's going to be an episode so thanks roy um here's the episode the legend of sawney beams that's the inspiration that the movie's about it and how i got turned on to this but here's the legend here the legend of sawney bean which i think is a terrifying yet also goofy name uh begins in east lothian uh, scotland alexander sawney bean as he was called was born during the 16th century, that's the 1500s, in East Lothian, Scotland. His father worked manual labor as a ditch digger and a hedge trimmer. Sawney tried to work alongside his father, but didn't take to manual labor. He decided to leave home with a woman he had met by the name of Black Agnes Douglas, a supposed wicked woman expected of being a witch, because people thought witches were real back then. It must have been true, uh, true love, because the two got married and moved away to... Ballantrae in Ayrshire, Scotland. The There, they found a home in Benane Cave. Yes, a cave, a big cave, with over a mile of tunnels reaching the outside world through solid rock. With so many nooks and crannies within the cave, there were plenty of spaces to accommodate a growing family. Although there were many small entrances and exits, or entrance slash exits to the cave, the largest and most easily noticeable entrance was flooded for several hours a day during the high tide, along with a good portion of the cave's, cave's internal space. This flooding feature, along with you know the fact that it was out in the middle of nowhere, kept the Bean family cave home and overall activities a secret from society for over 25 years. So it's a perfect storm here. They found a <laughs> crazy dude, wants to be lazy, doesn't want to be a hedge trimmer in the 1500s doesn't want to work so he finds a, this lady who's suspected to be a witch kind of crazy they go out and live in a cave in the middle of nowhere rural scotland <laughs> this cave is huge nooks and crannies still gnarly and the entrance what you can actually notice if you're you couldn't possibly notice if you're walking along the shoreline gets covered up by water for hours every day during high tide so it's kept secret perfect storm so here we are. A young couple ran away from their families. Uh, one a tradeless and skillless poor man, the other a witch. They now had a home, but no source of income. So Sawney got to work robbing and mugging people who traveled the nearest road, a very rural area secluded from any sign of civilization besides this road. It was a great spot for such a crime. But when Sawney went into town for supplies, he realized that he could be recognized by one of his victims. So he decided to just kill them instead. Problem solved. No one to recognize him when he went into town. But wait, there is a, a more efficient way to do this. Instead of robbing people for money uh, to then buy food in town, why not keep their corpses for food? It kills two birds with one stone. Killing them keeps them from recognizing him uh, when he goes into town. 
all the time for food and puts a good source of protein on the table for the missus. Yay! This is the cold, calculating thought process of a psychopath whose sin of choice is sloth or laziness, which I thought was kind of a weird concoction. This evil, murderous, cannibalistic psychopath, but it seems that all of his motivations are to have to do less stuff. He's kind of lazy. He didn't want to work for his dad as a hedge trimmer, ditch digger, so he's lazy and, I don't know, just sort of fell into it. Still murderous, but instead of wrath or or lust like a lot of other psychopathic killers his motivation was to just i don't know not do much live in a cave don't have to pay rent you know what i mean so all the all that long pig meat on the table must have kept the beans healthy because it wasn't long until the two started popping out kids like it was nobody's business that term i use long pig refers to human flesh specifically used for human consumption it is a translation of a term formerly used in some Pacific islands for human flesh as food and is a horrifying term to most people. I I knew about long pig for a long time. I think I heard it in a horror movie where there are cannibals and it was like, oh, creepy. And then when I Googled it today, realized it was used by Pacific Islanders in small tribes, but who did cannibalize people um, and no throwing shade to them. I get it. If you're on an island, you, I, don't, I don't. It seems a little bit different if you're um cannibalizing people because there's no other source of meat on the island i don't know a little bit different but still the term long pig refers to people meat <laughs> if you didn't know that fun fact <laughs> sonny and agnes produced six daughters eight sons these kids were all raised on long pig and therefore it was normal to them to murder and cannibalize people they were raised that way they knew nothing else <laughs> not much homeschooling going on either so that's the only thing they had to focus on was <laughs> killing, robbing, and eating people. Great. Um, and then the Sawney and Agnes had 14 granddaughters and 18 grandsons. So generations of kids. How wonderful. The family from hell is growing. Various grandchildren were pr products of incest between their children. All these new mouths to feed. The need to put food on the table increased as well. So it's just getting worse. Over the next couple of decades, more and more people would go missing on this narrow, secluded road. It seemed that anyone who traveled on it would never be seen again, and so generations of beans were now murdering and eating their fellow man. And they got good at it. The bean family had become regular Gordon Ramseys of cannibalism. They refined their skills of hunting, ambushing, and then preparing this meat. They refined their skills of salting and pickling human flesh for preservation's sake. Jars of prefer pre preserved human flesh were washing ashore in the area, and people had no idea where they were coming from. For over two decades, the Bean family, led by Sonny and Agnes, had lived in their remote caves of horrors. They had literally lived off members of society without having to face the consequences of society until, until someone caught notice. Even with no evidence left behind, such a large list of missing persons from the same area is bound to be noticed. This is possibly the largest list of mis bleh, missing persons in history. Huge search parties were eventually created to look for the missing people or even, you know, the murderers of people who made them go missing. But no one found a community, a house, or even a camp. Not, like, no one thought to look in the cave. Why would you? By now, the, the Bean family had almost 50 members and were taking out entire parties of travelers on the road. They would carefully ambush parties upwards of a dozen people kill them with precision, and then take the corpses back to the cave where the women of the clan would prepare the bodies for feasts. 
it's kind of horrifying. They're, I mean, it's like they're, they're really efficient at this. But the Beans clan, the Bean clan's idea of paradise couldn't last forever. Even plans that have been laid out and executed without fail thousands of times can still go wrong. That is life. That is reality. Eventually, stuff goes awry. Um, in this case, it's a good. It's good that it eventually stopped. One evening, the Sawney Bean Clan set out their plans to execute the tried and true ambu- ambush tactic uh, that by now had military-like precision. They spotted a man and his wife on horseback returning from a nearby fair. One group of beans set out to pull the wife off the horse, while the other set out for the man. The group that went out after the wife reached their target first. They pulled her from her horse stripped her of her clothes, and quickly began to disembowel her. Um, Yeah, pretty gruesome. Now, this all happened before the other group reached the man. The husband turned back to see his wife being gutted like like wild game after a hunt while she was still alive, but no hope of surviving. When the man saw a large group of these savages coming for him and his mount, he fought, and with great desperation... Now, he was able to get away um, by plunging himself and his horse into the heart of the group trying to attack him. As he fought a large group of, of citizens who were also coming from leaving the nearby fair where he and his wife had come from, they came across this grisly scene, and there were about 20 of them. So now his wife is being disemboweled. She's still alive, but not for very long. He's fighting, and 20 people show up, just come across. and the, And so it's kind of like a lot of stuff's going on here. The man who had recently become a widower went before the chief magistrate about all this after he escaped and the 20 people escaped. Um, the Bean the bean clan was outnumbered by these 20 people coming from the fair for the first time. They decided to retreat in a panic. They had left the corpse of the woman behind as evidence. They had also left behind the grieving husband and 20 or so witnesses. Sorry, I jumped ahead a bit, a bit there. So yeah, the Bean clan just up and says no way not dealing with 20 people they leave so this is when the man the husband who had just recently become a widower went before the chief magistrate of glasgow scotland i've been to glasgow it's a beautiful city and i highly recommend you check it out even if you you know if you ever get the chance to go (laughs) don't don't associate scotland with just all this craziness it's a beautiful country check it out the chief magistrate though he was told the man's tale the, the 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 husband whose wife just murdered viciously how his wife was attacked and gutted like an animal Chief Magistrate connected this story with the longest missing person list in history and washed up pickle jars of human remains. He decided this went even higher than his station as Chief Magistrate and it involved the King James King James I. So, unlucky for the, the, the Beans clan, the, the husband that got away, he had connections. This went straight to the king. When the king got involved, it was clear that, that a solution would be found. King James I brought a small army of 400 men with some tracking dogs, local volunteers, and proceeded to launch the largest manhunt the Ayrshire Scotland had ever seen. The king was not messing around with an unknown number of inbred hillbilly cannibals attacking his people. When he found out the area that had been plagued by disappearances wasn't the work of some ghost or apparition, as people thought, but a real-life clan of murderers, um, he went to work. And (laughs) he went to work bust in some skulls (laughs) so at first the massive search party found nothing no community no house not even a camp as before to suggest someone inhabited the area the ayrshire countryside and coastline seemed to be empty of any human presence besides their own this was the same result as 
par uh, past search parties had found. But this search party had the support of the king and as well his well-trained tracking dogs. One of those hounds caught the scent of all that blood and rotting flesh as it passed along the shoreline. The hound led the party to uh, Benain Cave. That's uh, the home of the Sawney Bean clan. Uh, they began to enter uh, swords at the ready and torches in hand to light the way. As they went along the mile-long cave tunnels, the smell became strong enough for the men to notice. It was the stench of death. They're creeping into this cave. They have their hands on their swords, freaked out. Like, what is happening? Decades-long disappearance, torches in hand. There's tons of them, so they, they have strength to go in further, but it's getting weird. The horrors that were witnessed within the cave were too much for most of the men to handle. Some fled in fear when they saw the hundreds of rows of human limbs hanging on the walls. More fled from the search party as they came upon human meat hanging from hooks like in a butcher shop. As the party ventured further within the cave's wet and putrid tunnels, they saw nooks and crannies, each with designated piles of clothing, watches, jewelry, and discarded bones. Once uh, they reached where the clan like, was lying in wait, the search party was fortunate enough to take the clan by surprise. Um, there was a scuffle, but it did not last long. Without their carefully laid ambushes, the Sawney Bean clan uh, couldn't put up much of a fight. All 48 of the clan were arrested and taken to the Scottish capital of Edinburgh, escorted by the king himself. Scotland is known for its complicated yet prestigious legal system, separate from the England's uh, legal system. You know, it's, it's known for being quite fair and all that, uh, but that was thrown away. That was not used <laughs> during the, the Sawney Bean clan trial. There was no trial. They, uh, their crimes were too heinous, and the entire clan was sentenced to death with swift punishment. The very next day, the men of the clan had their limbs cut and left to bleed out. The women were forced to watch this. And then the women were burned alive as witches on giant pyre burning pyres. And I, even though these are terrible crimes, mob justice is rarely a good thing. But still, it's a good ending to the story. From HistoricUK.com, and so the Ballad of Sawney Bean records their end. And this is a quote from the, 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 the ballad here. They've hung them high in Edinburgh tune, and likewise uh, their kin. And the wind blows could on uh, their banes a tay hell they a bay gain. <laughs> Some Celtic stuff. But please note, however that, how, please note that, however, uh, Although the tale of Sawney Bean and his infamous family is recorded in several notable publications, factual documentation, documentation is lacking to validate the events. As Wes Craven said, he read an article from the 1700s, and then I said Sawney Bean's from the 1500s. Yeah, the article was written like 200 years after Sawney Bean was alive. Typically, historians will say, eh, not much credibility there. Could have happened, you don't really know. Now, this is uh, quite the story, and an old one at that. The whole story, this whole story is based on an article written um, in the uh, 18th century by an 18th century tabloid called the Newgate Calendar. There is debate as to the existence of Sonny Bean at all. Was he a real person or was he just a myth supposedly lived during the 1500s yet uh, he was first written about in the 1700s? So, yeah, there are those who point out the close, close relation to Sonny Bean's story to that of Sandy Bain a murderer who lived, who liked to eat cats. And Sonny Bean's story 
resembling the tale of uh, Christy Creek. It's uh, written in 1696 by Nathaniel Crouch under the pseudonym Richard Burton, set in the year 1459. Here's an excerpt about Christy Christy Cleek, um, written here, quote, about which time a certain thief who lived privately in a den with his wife and children were all burned alive. Their uh, they having made <clears throat> made it their practice for many years to kill young people and eat them. One girl, only of a year old, was saved and brought up at Dundee, who at 12 years of age, being found guilty of the same horrid crimes, was condemned the same punishment. And when the people followed her in great multitudes to execution, wondering at her unnatural villainy, she turned toward them and with a cruel countenance said, What do... What do you thus rail at me, as if I had done such a heinous act contrary to the nature of man? I tell you that if you did but know how pleasant the taste of man's flesh was, none of you all would forbear to eat it. And this, with an impatient, or er, imp, impenitent and stubborn mind, she suffered deserved death. So that does sound quite a lot like Sonny Bean's story. Who knows, maybe there's plagiarism of Christy Cleek's story. But even her story, uh, the story of Christy Cleek, was written in 1696 about someone in 1459. And that reads more like fiction than an actual retelling. So it could be a myth. Whether true, exaggerated truth, or pure myth, the legend of Sawney Bean has influenced more than just Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. The horror of Sawney Bean's story has left a strong influence on today's pop culture. In the popular Japanese comic and cartoon series Attack on Titan, you may have heard of it, Hang, Hang Zoe recounts the tale of a cannibalistic clan um, to two captured titans. They ended the tale by naming the two titans Sawney and Bean. Attack on Titan is like one of my favorite animes, so it's pretty cool. The legend's uh, influence can also be seen in the movies Ravenous, Wrong Turn, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I remember Wrong Turn. That movie scared uh, the, my little boy self. It is the story of a group of friends traveling through West Virginia and coming across a clan of inbred cannibal hillbillies. So creepy. So uh, check it out if you like horror movies. In the Image comic series, Hack Slash, the main character Vlad, a.k.a. the Meat Man Killer, is eventually revealed to be the descendant of Sonny Bean. In the film Judge Dredd 1995 introduces the Angel Gang, a family of cannibalistic scavengers that are cave dwellers. I do remember Sylvester Stallone playing Judge Dredd and being held captive by cave-dwelling cannibals. So, cool. The Rockstar-developed uh, video game Red Dead Redemption 2 came out in 2018, contains a family of savages and barbaric cave dwellers. Red Dead Redemption 2 is one of my favorite games. I do remember clearing out this cave of cannibals. So much fun. So creepy. Um, I had already beaten the game and was like, what's going on here? And came across and was like, wow. So, wow. What a story. Sawney Bean and his clan um, were horrible to possibly thousands of people. They have no idea how long the list is. And then met a similar fate. What a, what a, what a story. Horrifying. And let us say... Uh, you know, it was all a tall tale, not real or exaggerated. Human history is mostly unknown to us. I'm sure there was a similar story lost to history um, where such a thing did happen. Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. Until next time. Mm-hmm.